Our epistle reading for today comes from Romans chapter 7 and is the basis for today's message. Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law, and if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brother, you have also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions, aroused by the law, were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we may serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Just to give you a heads up, this is the right law. So today we'll be speaking about the right law sin and death. So grab your pews, buckle up. The right law. To draft the Declaration of Independence, the Second Continental Congress appointed a committee of five, consisting of Thomas Jefferson, John Adams, Benjamin Franklin, Roger Sherman, and Robert Livingston. The Declaration of Independence was written between June 11th and June 28th, 1776. And on this day in 1776, July 2nd, Congress voted for independence and then published the Declaration of Independence on July 4th. The laws of our country can change. Laws about parent rights and education, abortion, same-sex marriage, and we expect laws to change. Depending on which political party is in control, we either approve of or are greatly disturbed when the laws are changed. But we expect it. So it should come as as no surprise that some people would find God's unchanging law to be an aberration and therefore inappropriate, out of date. So some church denominations begin to reset social issues based on shifting cultural standards. The law, it does have a limit, Paul says. It's only valid until death. He writes this, 
Or do you not know, brothers, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? Then he gives this illustration of marriage. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, then she's released from that law of marriage. We still have those words in our own marriage, right? We end the vows with, until death parts us. The very commandment that proved life, Paul says, proved to be death to me. You see, God says, obey my law. You can be righteous. If you obey, you can make yourself right with God. Only we know that doesn't work very well. We cannot obey. And if you think you you can obey, then you are self-righteous, which is really no righteousness at all. In fact, you're You're the furthest away from being righteous. You're at war with God. And my friends, that's a battle that neither you or I can win. And so here's the result. You either hear the law and realize your sin, and then you either give up and just give in to the sin. Or you try hard and then fail time after time and lose hope. Or you try hard and believe that you can, and you have a false sense of hope. Or, and this is the only one that truly works, you can try hard, realize that you cannot, repent, and find true hope in the right promise of God, that you can be made right through faith. That God will credit your faith, count your faith as the righteousness of Christ. sin. Maybe we get numb to the diagnosis that we are indeed a poor, miserable sinner. Maybe you you just mumble through the words of confession without really thinking about what it is that you're saying, without reflecting on your own life and your own brokenness. Maybe it just gets mundane. But think of the person, and I'm sure you know somebody or you yourself have heard that word cancer for the first time. And that word sinks into the soul. Sin is much the same. The stain of our sin should just ache inside of us. Makes me think about Peter's sermon at Pentecost, and he says, this Jesus whom you crucified, and the people are struck to the core, and they cry out, what shall we do? Paul says, for sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it, killed me. So the enemy tempts us to sin all the time, to violate God's law, and he does this in so many different ways. He tempts us to believe that that sin is not all that bad. He tempts us to believe that it won't hurt anyone. Nobody will probably even know. He tempts us to believe that we actually deserve to enjoy life, and God's laws are just meant to restrict and restrain us. He tempts us in pride that our sin is not as bad as someone else's. He tempts us to focus on the sins of others instead of our own sin. He tempts us to believe that some sins are worse than others. He tempts us to believe that we obviously deserve God's grace, but Those people, those enemies of ours do not. 
And he tempts us to believe that some of God's laws are outdated, socially irrelevant, or maybe even offensive and bigoted. And Paul says, seizing that opportunity. For those who are familiar with addiction recovery, there's a saying that addiction is cunning and baffling and powerful. I have a friend who adds the word patient because it waits for the opportune time. The enemy and sin that we are tempted to commit are the same. That's that prowling lion looking for someone to devour, and he knows our moment of weakness when we are more prone to give in to temptation, when we are hurting or angry or lonely, tired, stressed. He seizes that opportunity. Let's make this even more difficult to swallow. Because Jesus shows us that the Ten Commandments refer not only to behavior, things that we should do or should not do, but also a condition of our heart. Jesus said, in effect, you've heard it, that do not murder. But that means that we also shouldn't be bitter or hate our neighbor either. When you read the Ten Commandments as they're written in the book of Exodus, you can easily look at them as external signs of behaviors that you do. You could easily say, I haven't worshipped an idol, I haven't disobeyed my parents, I haven't killed, lied, stolen, committed adultery. Whenever we have confirmation classes with our middle school students and we talk about the Ten Commandments, I make a wager with them all that I can guarantee that each one of them has broken each one of the Ten Commandments, and if I'm wrong, I'll buy you a hamburger. And if I'm right, you buy me one. They're like, oh, 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 I'm not even married. How can I commit adultery, Pastor? Because we do it in our heart. It's the condition that we have that's broken inside of us to have pride, greed, envy, lust. That sinfulness is is the nature of our, our soul. Ever since the fall, we've been horribly broken. You know, you can read those laws superficially and make them a check box, whether you've done them or not. But when you really get down to it, when you get to the last commandments, it has nothing to do with actions. It has to do with the condition of our heart. See, this coveting that he pulls out. You shall not covet has everything to do with inward attitudes and heart issues. To, to covet is to be discontent with what God has given you. Coveting is not merely wanting. It's an idolatrous longing for more beauty or wealth, approval or popularity. Even if you could keep the other, sin, the other commandments externally, Jesus taught that we all continue to sin in, in our minds and in our hearts. The right law shows our sin. And that sin leads to death. And see, we desperately need transformed lives of freedom from this sin. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said that freedom is never voluntarily given by the oppressor. It must be demanded by the oppressed. See, Satan, he doesn't just roll over easily and say, take them, Jesus, they're all yours. No, Jesus had to make a declaration of his own. And he declared on the cross and he demanded our freedom. Patrick Henry 
gave a speech on March 23rd, 1775. It's familiar. Give me liberty or give me death. We had it really close. Paul says we receive our liberty by death. See, Jesus knew the only pathway to our liberty was his death. John 15, the gospel writer writes this, Greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. Paul expounds on it. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. The law reveals that we are bound and married to a life of sin. But by being connected in death through our baptisms, we are connected to the death of Christ. And that marriage to sin is now declared null and void. We are instead bound to Christ in a transformed life of freedom. Now we belong to him who was raised from the dead. Paul says, but now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. See, we were once living in bondage to sin, but our baptism set us free. Christ has died in our place, nullifying that bond to sin. Oh, but like a dog returns to his vomit, we are all still sinful, and we long to go back, even though we're set free. But the fruit of sin that leads to death is no longer our fate. And when we do sin, we grow in our repulsive response to our sin, and it drives us to our knees in repentance, seeking God's grace and forgiveness, seeking God's strength to live in a better life. The right law, sin, and death. The right law. Paul says the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. The law is holy, which means it's set apart for a very special purpose. And the purpose of God's law always has been and always will be to reveal our sin and our desperate need to be saved. The law is righteous. It is perfect. It is right. By the grace of God, he imparts his righteousness to us by faith. And we are indeed released for a life of freedom. To be able to say, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? You see, the law is no longer an impossible task for us to accomplish, but a spirit-empowered life, leading us to know how best to love God and one another. And it is good. Whenever I hear in Scripture the word good, I go back to Genesis chapter 1, where God, after he has created everything, he steps back. He assesses the work that was done. And everywhere he looks, he sees it exactly how he had it in mind. It is good. It is perfect. See, God's law is good. There's nothing wrong with the law of God. There is no law that is out of date and in need of correction or adaptation. There's no part of God's law that Jesus has not already fulfilled. He is perfectly good, just like Adam before the fall. 
And so we are not to ignore the law in the Old Testament or the New Testament because we need to know how to show our love to God. We need to know how to show our love for one another. We need to know how to encounter the best life possible on this side of heaven. You see, I want to learn the law. I want to know it. Even love the law. Because it's no longer bad news, but a prescriptive plan for me to show love. At the same time, pointing out errors and mistakes that I need for correction and repentance. And while God's law is unchanging and highly offensive to today's culture, it still needs to be taught clearly. We need to hear it. We need to know it. We need to measure ourselves by it. We need continual repentance and renewal. And our community needs to hear it. Needs to know this unchanging law of God that is holy and righteous and good. We need to share this message. We need to share this message in a way that shows love to those still living in darkness. Speaking the truth in love, we can share the truth with people without agreeing or approving of them. You see, we can accept people as they are, where they are, not approve, but accept that that's where they are. That's exactly how Jesus deals with us, accepting us while we were still sinners. He died for us. And so we take this truth into our community, not to offend or or break or berate or shame, but to bring truth and life, to reveal sin and bring to repentance. The right law, perfectly fulfilled by Christ. Sin, completely paid for by Christ. Death, totally overcome by Christ. May this bring you peace that passes all understanding in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.